Hello, friends and colleagues. It is Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 52, is all about the musical systems that we can use in our teaching studios to help our singers learn the language of music. That's right. We're talking about the doughs. Movable dough, fixed dough, but there's other systems too. Numbers, letter names, there's lots of different ways that we can work with our students to help them understand and to learn to read music. Which one's right for you? Which one's right for your students? Well, we're going to talk about that right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, teaching strategies and resources for voice teachers working with young singers. Now here's your host, Nikki Loney. Hey, voice teachers, thank you so much for joining me on another podcast. I'm so glad you found time in your crazy busy schedule to uh, get some learning in there. Um, it is uh, it is uh, kind of mid-September time of recording this and releasing this, and uh, I've just... I've just gotten back into the swing of things. Um, So I'm back to teaching. I have some really fantastic new students. um, And I'm just so excited to get started. But I have to tell you, I'm tired. The energy that it takes to teach... Oh my goodness, because uh, this summer I took, uh, I took some time off from teaching, um, and actually this summer I spent uh, recording some really great podcasts, um, but yeah, so I'm back to teaching, and uh, I'm still getting accustomed to it. So I hope if you are back to the September rush of teaching that you are handling it well. I hope you have some wonderful, wonderful new students. Um, it's always an awkward time, you know, you know kind of getting students comfortable in your teaching studio and being comfortable with their parents and just getting to know them. It takes a while. First lessons, they're awkward. Yeah, they take a while to settle in. Uh, And I don't think there's any shortcuts to that. I think you just have to you just have to get used to them and they have to get used to you. Anyhow, today's podcast is uh, is a, a conversation that comes up a lot. And um, before we get started, I want to tell you, if, you, if you're short on time, I'm going to get to the point right here. Um, this is not a debate. I am not saying that one system is better than the other. So if you were wondering if, you know, you were doing things right or wrong, um, that's not the approach I'm taking with this podcast. There are a lot of benefits to different musical systems. Um, There's pros and cons to each. And uh, so this podcast is about incorporating more than one musical system. Oh. Yes, we are not debating movable dough versus fixed dough. If you have hours to waste and you go to the Google machine, you can type in movable dough versus fixed dough. There are plenty of articles, plenty of articles stating the pros and cons. Um, Some of them are really interesting, actually, in researching this podcast. I I stumbled on a few and I was like, hmm, that's a good point. Never thought of that. Um, But uh, what we're going to be talking about today is is the benefits of each of them and how you can utilize them. Um, And this this conversation, well, there, there was a thread in the Voice Teachers for Young Singers forum 
about this recently. And I get questions about this a lot uh, because in the full voice workbooks, our systems, we do use movable dough. Uh, and uh, we use tonic sulfa, um, and and that's a deal breaker for some teachers. That's not a system that they're familiar with, so they uh, they don't utilize our stop, which is totally fine, right? You got to do what you got to do. Um, but uh, there was a, another forum, um, or another forum. There was another thread in the Voice Teachers for Young Singers group about movable dough fixed dough and I want to shout out to all the members of our Facebook forum um I'm I love how supportive and um how friendly everybody is I think it's really important on forums it is so easy to type things in haste with your fingers with your thumbs that um can be the tone can be read as really negative and i and so i was really pleased because i think this this thread about movable dough fixed dough letter names number names was handled really well <laughs> i don't think anybody got out of control on that one um but there has definitely always been a debate about which system works better now i know that i probably shouldn't do this but i'm going to do this because I'm looking for this, so you might be able to help me. So um, there was an internet meme that I saw a while back. And yes, I'm going to explain it to you on the podcast. So it was the movable dough versus fixed dough argument. But they had taken the points and they had uh, put it onto the um, background of American Chopper. Okay, so let me explain. If you haven't seen the show American Chopper, and don't judge me, I don't watch it. My father watches it. He loves it. American Chopper is a TV show. It's a family business. It's a dad and a son, and they make beautiful, beautiful custom motorbikes. But the whole premise of the show is the two of them are massive hotheads, and there's always a fight. And it usually turns into, like them picking up pieces of motorcycles and throwing them at each other in a rage. So somebody took pictures of that and then superimposed the movable dough versus fixed dough argument. And I've never laughed so hard, but I can't find it anymore. So if you have, if this is in your possession, if you've saved this meme on your computer, you need to send it to me. So um, the argument for movable versus fixed has been around for a long time. We really don't need to debate them. What we need to acknowledge is that our students, musicians, need a system. They need a way to relate their instrument to the music concepts. They need to to learn about relative pitch and absolute pitch, and we need a system in order to help them do this. And it's in our best interests and in the interests of our students. And I know people listening to this podcast are um, dedicated in being uh, master teachers. We want to be the best teacher that we can possibly be. Um, it's in everybody's best interest if we embrace more than one system because this is one of those situations where what we experienced, what our preferences are, may not suit the students that we're working with. Yeah, I know. We all have the preferences to how we learned 
um, our our information. And so when we are when we are working with a child or with a beginner of any age, really, how they're experiencing music and their voice or their instrument is completely different from ours. Completely different. There might be similarities, but we we have to appreciate that we need to have extra big toolboxes in the teaching studio. So our go-to preferred method, not clicking, no problem. What if I explain it to you this way? Now, this comes back to a very, very important, um, what, what, what would I call it? I guess it's a, a, a phenomenon. Um, and I'm, t- I'm talking about the, the curse of knowledge, Now, I have mentioned the Curse of Knowledge before in other podcasts. Uh, And again, I want to shout out to um, Kara Transtrom, who brought this article to my attention. Um, We also talked about the Curse of Knowledge in our um, Full Voice Teachers webinar. And the Curse of Knowledge is really profound, and it affects all of us. Every single one of us is affected by the curse of knowledge. And what's even more unfair is the longer you've been teaching, the more the curse of knowledge affects you. That's not fair, but that's what happens. So for those of you who aren't familiar, and I didn't make this up, curse of knowledge is a real thing. You can Google it. It's got its own Wikipedia page. But simply explained, curse of knowledge is when the expert has a difficult time relating to the beginner. Ah, yes. If you have a lifetime of experience, if you are so confident in the the information that you are providing your students, it's very difficult for you to really see exactly how they're grasping that information. This happens all the time. This happens in workplaces, but it especially happens in learning institutions. It happens in classrooms uh, at any level. I'm sure all of you had a university prof or a teacher that just didn't explain things in a way that made sense for you. That's a curse of knowledge. So um, there is a wonderful article and I've got it right here, and I'm just going to reference it because it's so beautiful. Uh, There is a science teacher blogger, Chris Reddy, and I'm going to put a link to this article on the podcast page because I think it's a wonderful article and a great check-in for teachers. Um, But the curse of knowledge is profound in learning environments, and these are the two points that he makes, which I think really get us in the voice studio. So number one... We do not remember what it is like not to know what we are trying to teach. (gasps) Is that not so true? Do you remember what it's like not to be able to read music? Like how old were you when it all clicked? For, For many of us, it's three lifetimes ago. And the other one is we cannot relive the difficult and lengthy process that learning our content originally took. We have been on a long journey and our beginner students are right at the very beginning. They are a clean slate. 
When you put a piece of music in front of them, it's just a bunch of black squiggles on a page. It makes no sense to them. It is not a comprehensive language. So the curse of knowledge really plays here. So when we're talking about the systems, again, it's not about which system you prefer. It's about which system is going to work better for your kiddos, even for your adults. If you're, if you have adults and from time to time, I get adults that come to me and they've decided that, you know what, I'm, I really want to learn to read music. And I love that. Uh, I think it's harder for the adults. Um, I think, I think it, and it takes a lot more courage, I think at that, at that age to, to ask for help. Um, so the systems, the systems, we, we can stop debating on which is better. So for those of you who are maybe not um, up on the different systems, so movable dough, uh, which is also called tonic sulfa, uh, means that whatever key you are in, so if you're in the key of C major, whatever is the tonic, that is dough. So if you're in C major, C is dough. If you are in D, then D would be dough. And movable dough is um, uh, quite common, especially in North America. Um, and uh, movable dough we use in our full voice resources, for sure. Um, now, fixed dough is where C is always dough. Huh. Now, the fixed dough system, there are countries that don't use letter names. So they don't have uh, C major. They will never, they don't use C, D, E, F, G. The musical alphabet, um, that's not their system. They would use do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. Sometimes it's called C and then do. So C major would be called do major. And that is exactly what the French use here in Canada. So um, right now in my teaching studio, and this is really cool, um, I have a young singer who has moved here from Montreal, well, just north of Montreal. And so she was, and she's very musical. She's been music lessons and piano, like, since she was very little. So she has been taught fixed dough. That is the system that they use. So when she came into my studio and we were talking and I was getting to know her and I realized, oh my gosh, she uses fixed dough. My first, my first gut reaction was, oh crap. <laughs> oh darn it. What am I going to do? And then my second, my second thought, quick, you know, reactive thought was, well, I'll just, I'll just transition her into movable dough because that's what I like. But then I realized um, after some reflection maybe a glass of wine, uh, that that's not fair. And my I want her to be as comfortable as possible. And I want to nurture the fact that she's also very musical. And I don't want her to feel like she's done something wrong or that she needs to learn another method. Um, so I have embraced the, move, or the fixed dough. And I have to say, it's been very challenging because my brain does not work like that. But it's been a great exercise. Now, I have shown her movable dough. And, uh, well, first she laughed, <laughs> uh, but then she said, no, I can see that. I can see how that would work. And she did say that her teacher at school, uh, in Quebec did also sh teach them the note names, um, 
and and I kudos to her teacher for going into and using another system. But her her foundation is fixed dough, and I am not going to take that away from her. So right now in my teaching studio, I'm using all four systems. I'm using movable dough. That's my jam. I love movable dough. I am diving into fixed dough, and it's a really good challenge for me. And my student and I have bonded uh, based on how she is teaching me things, and I am teaching her things. That's actually a really cool um dynamic in our in our lessons. And then I use numbers all the time. I use numbers, the number system, uh, sometimes when explaining music theory, when my students get into learning jazz and having to sing modes, the numbers are very handy. And of course, I'm always teaching note names because you need to know the note names. So right now, I got all four systems going and I use them interchangeably and it works really, really well. So going back to that first point that I made at the beginning of the podcast is it's really a waste of time for us to be debating about which one is better. It's about teaching to the needs of your students. And sometimes more than one system can be really beneficial. Um, And in a little bit, I'm going to talk about minors and how you can use the different systems for minor, um, minor triads, minor scales. Um, But um, I do want to, I do want to kind of tell a little story. And this is also a public apology. Oh, big sigh. So I'm quite comfortable with movable dough um, because that's what I was taught in high school. So we had uh, great music programs. Um, uh, Shout out to Center Wellington District High School in Fergus. Uh, We had an amazing music teacher, uh, Mr. Raymond Johnson, who passed away a few years ago and it was very sad he was such an inspired man and uh, such a great music teacher and so awesome. And uh, yeah, it was sad to see hear that he had passed away. Uh, but we also had a vocal music class. And um, in the vocal music class, we were taught the do, re, mi's, and we were taught to sight sing using the tonic sol fa. Now, when I was in high school, I thought that do, re, mi's were babyish and really, really stupid. I hated hated it. And I tortured my high school vocal music teacher probably a lot. Actually, I did a lot. So this is a this is a heartfelt apology. Dale Hobbs, if you're listening to this podcast, I am so sorry for being such a jerk. Because what Dale doesn't know is that when I went into college and was going through all the assessments and going through all the ear training tests and the music reading tests, I had a skill set that many of my classmates did not. And because I could sing a Dorian mode, and I sang Ray to Ray, um, I got into some of the more advanced ensembles. And I was exempt from certain classes. And I had amazing opportunity after amazing opportunity, including recording sessions. And no, I didn't sing Do, Re, Mi in the recording studio, but I had the the confidence in my singing. I could read music confidently. I could hear intervals using that system. And it got me a lot of work. Um, when I graduated from college, I didn't have any debt 
I didn't have any student debt because I was singing and being hired for recording sessions and for gigs. So I owe my high school teacher a huge apology because a lot of that came from having um, really good ears and really good music reading skills and being able to relate to the other instrumentalists. So there you go. Now, when we started researching and when I started first teaching, actually, um, I didn't embrace the tonic solfa system at all. Um, but when we started to do the research for the full voice workbooks and the, and the full voice workbooks have been out for the first ones were released in 2004. Oh my goodness. That's like, that's a lot of time. I don't do math in public, so it's a, it's a lot of time. Anyhow, um, when we were first researching the full voice workbooks many, many, many years ago, uh, we were looking at the different systems. Um, we did a lot of focus groups. We did a lot of test groups. And I had never used the hand signs in my education. It, we never had to do the hand signs when we were learning the do re mis. Um, but we started doing research and when we were testing the, the full voice materials, um, we brought the hand signs in. And what we noticed, especially with working with the kids, is that the hand signs made the singing exercises more kinesthetic, more in their bodies, and also visual. So where a piano student sits at the piano and is touching a key and is feeling the key, um, the, our vocalists don't have that. So the hand signs uh, were really good at, at connecting the student's understanding of what they were doing with something physical. And and visual. And, and that's something that we often forget. Uh, most of our young students are visual learners. And exercises that are mostly singing by rote, singing by ear, are not that engaging for our little ones. And to be perfectly honest with you, they're not that engaging for some of my adults either. So making it a kinesthetic thing where they're moving and they're using the hand signs, it's also incredible. If you have a little singer or an adult that is struggling with pitch, yes, you can bang the note out on the piano repeatedly and ask them to find it and help them to find it. But Get it into their body and use the hand signs and see what happens. It really does help. The other benefit for using the tonic sulfa hand signs and why uh, we, in I think it was, I think it was first to second edition, we put in more hand signs in our books, um, is because it, it provides lots of opportunities for games um, and phys again physical activity. And, and when, we can, we, when we can get our students smiling and moving and playing, they're far more engaged in the lesson. Um, so with the hand signs, I know that a lot of teachers, if you've never been taught them, it seems like this big thing that just slows everything down. Well, it takes them forever. Hand signs, actually, I use the hand signs in my teaching studio and in my vocal classes as an assessment tool. And I'm going to explain that. So if I see a child that is taking a while to find the hand sign and to do the correct hand sign, that's a really great um, reminder for me to pace the lesson 
slower. Writing activities can help us with that as well. If you see a child and you've given them a writing activity and they are, they are slow to print or to write, do not rush them. Do not hurry them. That is a great indicator that this child may need a slower paced lesson. And that is the beauty. I know you all know this. In the private teaching studio, we should never be rushing our students, ever. There is no reason for it. Our kiddos are in big classrooms. They have to complete work at a certain time. A lot of our students have anxiety because they have learning disabilities or they need more time and they can't get it in the classroom. In the teaching studio, the private teaching studio, that is one of the most beautiful gifts we can give our students is the fact that they get to learn and go at their own tempo. And when you allow students to work at their own pace, to grasp concepts in their own time, you alleviate a lot of anxiety. You build their confidence because they know it's a safe space, a safe learning space. They'll be more apt to ask questions because they know that they're not, they're not just having to go through the motions of understanding like they might in a classroom. What we do in the private studio studio is so powerful. And sometimes I think I forget that. I'm sure you do too. But catering to that student and student-focused teaching is a beautiful gift and an opportunity to really help a child and uh, and an adult. It's not just children that, that can use that. Um, so when I am doing the hand signs, going back to the hand signs, if I have a student that is struggling with singing and signing, I'm going to slow things down a little bit, for them, little bit for them and allow them to learn at their own pace. So sometimes we can use these systems as assessment tools. And of course, if you're using the tonic sofa, one of the things that I love about it, which I think is essential in all of our teaching studios, is that we have to give our students the opportunity to sing unaccompanied. And that means without us singing with them and without us bashing the notes out on the piano. We have to have a system, a method, which allows them to sing by themselves. So this is so important. In fact, one of the busiest stations in my teaching studio, learning station, is my tonic sofa wall. And I know I've talked about it before. I know I've posted pictures about it before, but it's simply um, wall cards that are that are on the wall. And this is where we do a lot of our warm-up. This is where I introduce them to sight singing, but I don't tell them that. It's it's just what it is. Um, and, and it really helps me to see how my student is relating to them, to, to their voices, relating to their bodies, how quickly we can go or, or how slowly we need to go. It's a great tool to get a lot of information about the student and not just vocal information. Often our focus is just on the sounds that are coming out of them, but the vocal instrument is the whole body and the relationship with it. So this is a great system to help you do that. That is why I love these systems. Whether it's fixed dough, whether it's movable dough, it's a system that allows us to sing 
unaccompanied. So important. So important. And I know the default for many of us is to plop the student beside the piano and play and sing with them. That is an important skill, but it is one of many. So make sure you mix it up and give your students the opportunity to sing by themselves. Now, the other thing that I love about tonic solfa, or fix, it doesn't matter what fixed dough, movable dough, is that uh, I use the tonic solfa scale uh, as the first, the first um, introduction, I guess, to vowel modification. Oh, vowel modification. I mean, that's that's our lives, right? Fixing those vowels. So when you when the kids are singing do re mi fa, and a lot of them will go do re mi fa or fa, or the fa's and the laws always seem to be a little squished. So once they've been singing the scale confidently, then I can start to address jaw and tongue tension and vowel modification by asking them to fix fa and la and sometimes do. Sometimes the O vowel needs to be modified. So um, that, using do, re, mi's, to me, is much more musical than singing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. <laughs> that doesn't work. One, two, well, there's your oo. Three, there's an E. I mean, so it's just easier for me to use the tonic sol fa for vowel modification. And again, a lot of it is, these are tech, technical corrections, vocal flaws and that we're looking at, and we can use this scale. So a lot of people think that the tonic sol fa is a separate exercise. No, tonic sol fa or whatever, um, fixed dough, movable dough, uh, whatever system is also your warm up. Yeah, they don't have to be separate. You can do a lot of vocal exercises with these systems. So now, um, getting into the numbers. So I also use the number system a lot. Uh, I use it interchangeably. So and and often explain them back to back depending on my student. So especially if we're looking at minor scales. So minor scales and modes. So when my teenagers get into starting to learn jazz, I love jazz. I love that art form, that genre. It's so wonderful. So many creative things that we can do with some jazz standards. Anyhow, I digress. Um, so with the numbers, um, when I'm explaining, when I'm explaining the minor scales. Now, I know most of you, there's two ways to approach minor scales using those systems. You could use law, starting on law, right? So the relative minor. Um, and that's a great way to introduce natural minor scales, get them to sing law to law. Um, but in addition to that, I also ask them to use do and then modify. So I teach them the chromatics. So instead of do, re, mi, it would be do, re, me with the lowered third. Um, if this concept, and it often does in the beginning, kind of puts that glazed thinking emoji face on their face, <laughs> um, then I will use the number system and I will go, okay, well, this is one, two, flat three or lowered three. And I definitely use, use the number systems when we're talking about um, triads and four-part chords. So if we're building like a minor seven, um, uh, it'll be one flat three, five flat seven. So again, 
I use these systems interchangeably to make sure that my students are comprehending the information. I'm not stuck using one method. I will introduce and explain it a couple of different ways, and then I'll see what kind of jives with my student, and then we will hang out there. And this works really well. This works really well. And it's all—it's always fascinating. If you're really watching your students, when you see the light bulb moment, you see the light bulb moment. You see that, oh, yeah. And then they, they perform it confidently and they start to really dig in. Um, if you're watching your students carefully, you'll also see the glaze. I call it zombie face. So you'll see them kind of glaze over and kind of look and and a lot of kids are are con artists so they'll tell you that they understand but you can see by the expression on their face that they do not understand so you want to look out for those moments as well so when you are explaining different concepts you have this this opportunity to really solidify their understanding if you can bring it into more than one method so there you are as always, I hope you found this helpful. If you are new to one of these systems, uh, I hope you'll take some uh, some time and, and try it and dive into it or approach it in a different way. If you have any questions, you can reach out. If you have that American Chopper meme with the fixed dough versus um, movable dough, I send it to me, Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, at thefullvoice.com. I need to see it. I can't find it. It's hilarious. Um, but the biggest takeaway here, I hope, I hope, is that there are lots of different musical systems. They all have wonderful benefits. They all can help our students connect with the language of music and being the master awesome I was going to say badass. I don't know if I have to edit that. I'm going to keep it in. Uh, to be that awesome teacher that I know you are, you need to be open-minded with your, with your pedagogy and flexible with your teaching style. And I hope that this has given you some inspiration. So as always, I am wishing you an inspired day of teaching and do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Happy singing. Thank you for listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and teacher resources, please visit our website at thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe